Cathedral Studios production. Welcome to the first ever episode of the St. Louis Blues Supporters Podcast. Uh, my name is Jude, Benjamin Jude, and with me is Tim Tanner. Hey, let's go Blues. Let's go Blues indeed. Uh, also with me today is Mike Kelly. Let's go Blues. Let's go Blues. Amen. Um, yeah, so this is a, a fresh new podcast. We've started this um, really with uh, a couple of people that are in um, a Facebook group together. Uh, we're all just kind of your average Blues fans, you know? We're not professional journalists. We're you know, some of us have played hockey before, um, but more than anything is we just like, uh, like watching the blues, like talking about it online and, you know, sharing memes and stuff like that. Um, but this is an opportunity just, just for the ordinary hockey fan in St. Louis to, um, to get some news and views and, and, uh, and some hot takes from, you know, from people like them. Um, so to kind of kick this episode off, we're actually going to do, um, a little something that I hope is a recurring segment, uh, in this show, whatever that looks like in the future. Um, but it'll be the featured blues fan, the featured blues supporter of the week. Um, and this is just an opportunity for us to kind of highlight some people, you know, maybe people that we know or people that we've run into, um, random people at blues rallies and stuff that just happen to be sitting in front of us and have an awesome time together. Um, but just to share a little bit about who we are and how we fell in love with hockey um, and the blues. So we're actually going to kick this off. Um, Tim, you want to share a little bit kind of about you know, who you are, uh, what made you like hockey and, and the blues specifically? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Texas in December of 1992, um, right around the great floods of St. Louis and all that. And uh, probably about a year after I was born, we moved, my family's from the St. Louis area, so we moved back to St. Louis. And I don't remember specifically getting into hockey. I just remember falling in love like as I got older and watched it throughout the years. And as a child, just falling in love with it day after day, year after year, and just kind of it's slowly just growing on me. And then I wanted to play as a kid, but never could afford it. And then, uh, and then actually when I joined the military in 2012, um, the, the love for it just kind of grew that much more because we went through those hard years in 2006, 2007. I remember being in middle school, kind of being preoccupied as a kid and maybe not following them as much as I do now. But, uh, and when I joined the military, it kind of gave me that sense and pride of being home. And then, uh, it just kind of made me fall that much more in love with it. And then, gave me a sense of community for the place I was from. So that's really where it all comes from and being the brings me back to being in St. Louis, which every time I come home, it's just my heart's here. So yeah, kind of, kind of ties you back to your roots, which is, that's really cool. Awesome. Mike, what about you? Who are you? And, and, you know, what made you fall in love with hockey and, and the blues specifically? Well, I was born and raised here and, uh, uh, went to games when I was a kid, my dad would take me to games back in the, Oh, late seventies, early eighties with Ungers and Federkos and Sutters and whatnot. But um I was more into soccer at the time than than hockey and moved away to Indianapolis and one night when I was living there I was able to pick up KMOX and heard Ken Wilson calling the game and he I was hearing names like Hall and Shanahan and uh I got excited again and got a chance to move back to St. Louis and just you know, forgot all about soccer and started just living and breathing blues hockey. And so that's where we are. It's kind of a contagious community. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I think one of the cool things about hockey as a sport, 
um, is just that it's, it's so fast. It's so physical. It's, uh, and what a cool time to be a blues fan now. Um, or, or somebody who's just like introducing somebody to the game for the first time. Um, you know, when the team is so competitive and doing so well, obviously the best team in the league. Um, but just to give them an example of hockey at, at the highest level, you know, um, this is the best blues team we've ever seen in history. That's a fact. And that's super cool. Um, I know for me, like, uh, I'm not from St. Louis originally. I've lived here a couple different times in my life. Um, and it was when I moved here as a little kid, that was my first ever experience with hockey. And my dad had grown up playing hockey through, you know, middle school, high school, college, all that stuff. Um, but I was born in the desert in Arizona. And so moving to St. Louis for the first time, um, just seeing something that was radically different from spring training baseball, you know, it's just the polar opposite end of the sporting spectrum. And so for the, the first few years that I was here, it was, it was special. And I remember, I think the first game I ever went to, um, it was a Blues versus Florida Panthers game when they were like a brand new team. And I remember Craig McTavish, uh, who's playing in like, it must have been 1995 or something like that. He's the, if I'm not mistaken, the last NHL player ever to be grandfathered in from the no helmet days. So yeah. he was the last NHL player to not wear a helmet. And he had this like bright ginger mullet and he was just like storming into the, the corner to beat out an icing call before the no touch icing and um, just fearless. And I was sitting like maybe four rows back um, from, from the end boards where the, the blues were shooting at the time. And I was just like, this guy is just going balls to the walls absolutely fearlessly. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And um, yeah. And that was the same time that John Van Beesbrook was playing for the Florida Panthers and stuff. That was, so those two teams were kind of what got me into it, but I started playing, fell in love with the game and, um, as with most sports, uh, the teams that I support are the, the first experience I had with that particular sport. And so, um, always have a soft spot for the Panthers, especially now that they've hired Quenville. Um, but just living in St. Louis for the times that I have, um, it's been really cool to experience this team again, like you said, Tim, through the highs and lows. Um, it's super cool. We're on a high right now. Like we should be, I'm still kind of buzzing. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm like, did that really happen? Um, so what we're going to do in this episode, this is a little different from what things will look like uh, moving forward, but um, we're going to recap a little bit kind of, of how we felt going into the season, um, as well as just like the season and the postseason and kind of where we are now. Um, yeah, I think what's interesting about the season is nobody really knew what was going to happen, right? Like nobody was entirely correct. Like what did you guys think kind of uh, going into the season? What What were your perspectives? Like what... What did you think was going to happen? Well, the first thing was the uh, was Armstrong's trade for Ryan O'Reilly, and more importantly, I mean, I always knew that O'Reilly was a good player. You know, I remember the big thing he had in Colorado, and where's he going to sign and whatever. But um, getting rid of Patrick Berglund um, because Bergie was so. I don't know. He just, you know, there are games he'd show up and then games he wouldn't show up. And I never understood why he was such a media darling. Um, I, he was such a slug on the ice to me. I, I was, I was glad to see him go. Um, Saboka, Saboka had, he was a good defensive forward, but he didn't excite me either. And so that trade and, uh, uh, the Tyler Bozak signings, like, oh, okay, well, all right. Um, it's, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I was, like, 
any other season, like, well, well, we'll see. Hopefully it'll be a good one. And um, it did, sure didn't start out that way. <laughs> no, it didn't. No, it didn't. And we'll come on to that in a little bit. Um, so like kind of if, if you had made a prediction, maybe you did, maybe you didn't going into the season. Uh, and this is totally honor system here because we can't check to make sure you're not lying to us. But where would you have predicted us finishing going into this year? I was picking them to finish top three in the division and maybe make the second round of the playoffs and, you know, the, the usual spring disappointment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, blues. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Tim, what, what about you? Like, what were your, what were your thoughts going in? I was um, really happy when we, I was really, okay. It started with Tyler Bozak and I was really upset that we didn't get any bigger signings then. And then next thing you know, we have, we got Perron back, which was, I was happy about I mean, third time around, you knew he loved, because you had so many people in free agency. It's like, oh, we don't want to go to the Blues. We want to win. And then next thing you know, David Perron's like, no, I want to go. I want to go home. This is where my home is. This is where we're going to win it. And then the mentality changed when you saw Tyler Bozak. It's like, it's like I want to win a cup so damn bad, print it. And then with that, and then you see O'Reilly's trade, which kind of same thing. He's like, I just want to win a cup. And then uh, Plager was like, these good boys are going to bring my cup. So, and then Maroon being the hometown boy, how can you not be excited for that? Um, just the overall mentality of the team changed when we made that trade for O'Reilly because you could just feel it. And it's like you knew they wanted it so bad, but then they couldn't get together for like the first half of the year. And you're just like, what is going on? Like, you cannot expect this team to be this bad for this long. And there's there some disconnect somewhere, either coaching or just leadership in the room. And magically just turned it on, which was amazing. But um, if I had to predict where they would have been at the beginning, end of the year, I wouldn't have predicted they would have started so bad, which they had some really good games. I remember going to a game in November. I think it was right after Thanksgiving. They just, they turned it on that game too. And it's like, you could just see break, like small glimpses of them breaking out of it. And I'm just, them playing Nashville that game, they just lit it up. And I was like, oh my, is this really happening? And it's like, is this, are we going to see something come out? And then they'd suck for like the next two, three games. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> but um, if I had to predict where they would have been at the end of the year, I would probably have been in a wild card spot just based on how disappointing the Blues can be and how much they have to pull on our heartstrings until the very end. And then I would say like the first or second round because I think it would take a couple more years to get gel together, get some more prospects in the system like Dominic Bach when he finally comes up. And then um, Jordan Kyrou if he ever develops into the player we want. And then Thomas, if he can ever develop into that Patrice Bergeron that he was compared to when he came in the league. So, and then I didn't expect like Bo Meester or Gunnarsson to full, fully step up. It's amazing the depth that we came with this year. And it's really just baffling about how that happened. Yeah. I think there were so many, so many things that were just kind of wild cards where like, honestly, uh, I don't remember what, sort of predict I feel like just knowing myself I would have made some bold prediction and just to be an ass and be like this is what's going to happen I don't remember what it was I I don't think I could have ever imagined that the season would have turned out this way and I think I remember going into the season with a lot of trepidation and a little bit of optimism because I'm kind of an optimistic guy but there was just so much that I didn't know what to expect about uh and like you said Mike you know uh moving Berglund. I always liked Berglund as, as a person. Uh, I think he's a very talented individual on the puck. I've seen him in practice a couple of times and the, the guy's wicked talented as, 
as our friends in Boston would say, um, but just never really put it together. And so, okay, we moved him. We moved Sabotka, who was kind of your typical St. Louis, like underdog guy. And got O'Reilly, who, as it's been widely known uh, on the internet, um, had lost his love with the game and stuff like that. So it's like, what are we really getting there? You know, on, on paper, sure. it looks like a good move, but is he going to fit? What's going to happen? And, you know, Tyler Bozak, same thing. Like, the desire was there, and he's a talented individual, but he's also used to being on mediocre or bad teams in Toronto, you know? Um, did we really bring enough in to shake up a team that was always kind of mediocre. You know, even even the season when we went to the conference final, I always kind of felt like we were overshooting a little bit, like things did come together. And I, I didn't go into that off season before the season when we missed the playoffs, thinking we're going to be great next year. And then when we missed the playoffs by one point, it was kind of like, well, we missed the playoffs by one point. It was, you know, we didn't really have an amazing team. We weren't bad, but we weren't amazing. And I kind of felt that way going into this season too. You know, like there was a lot, a lot that could go our way, but then there was still, you know, can Vladimir Tarasenko be consistent? What Alexander Steen are we going to get? You know, what are we going to do with Jay Bomeister and Carl Gunnarsson on the back end? And we'll talk in a little bit about, my goodness, what the heck happened there? Um, is Jake Allen the guy that we want to put, you know, between the pipes every night? And we had committed to him being the number one. So going into the season, I was kind of like, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't optimistic, though. Never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined a Stanley Cup victory. Um, and so in, in that sense, like, I remember going into the season just being like, meh, you know, curious. What's going to happen? What What is Ryan O'Reilly going to be like? Um, but I, just, I, I, I wasn't super, st- I mean, I, I, I was stoked because I love hockey and I love the blues, but I didn't have those high expectations. What, what about you guys? Like, what was your thought going into that first game? So are we talking about the first game of the series? Talking about first game of the playoffs? First game of the, of the season. Like, you know, optimism going into the season, um, kind of into the first half. I was really optimistic going into the season. I was hoping that we could turn it around. Um, I knew with Jake Allen between the pipes that if we got the same goalie that we've seen the past few years, that it might not go our way. But I felt like we had the team to make that happen from night to night. Maybe not on a consistent basis. I thought we'd be a little bit better out the go- gate than we were, but overall I thought we would have been a lot better than we were. I didn't imagine us being the bottom half of the standings here come January 3rd. So, Yeah, that, that was unexpected kind of across the board, wasn't it? That that awful, awful first half of the season. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, I think at first puck drop, I was, I was optimistic as well. You know, it's new season, you're excited. And then it just went off the rails so fast. Um, blowouts at home. And and then go on the road and, like, beat the Blackhawks, but then turn around and lay an egg against, you know, Arizona or whoever. Um, it, it, it was just really strange. Because, I mean, I, I was... I knew that Jake Allen can play well. I mean, he definitely won that series against Minnesota the year before. But then he has those moments where he just lets in a deflating bad goal. And it seemed like those were happening a lot early on. And I'll be one of the people, I'll admit I was one of those people that did not think that Petro was the right captain. Um, That whole Jamie Benn sitting on him thing just really got me so, like, it was humiliating and I, I'm not him. <laughs> it was humiliating to see Jamie Ben sitting on our captain, like, Oh, home. Yeah, this is fun. Ha ha. And 
I don't know. I, I, it just went off the rails so fast and Bo Meester was, you know, everybody's calling him slow Meester and, and, or the cone and Jay Cone. Jay Cone. And <laughs> thank God for internet memes. <laughs> Keep yeah. us sane when we're in last place. I don't know if you guys heard, but we were on in last place on January 3rd. No, I didn't heard that. Okay. No, not at all. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. NHL guys on NHL network radio laughing at the blues and like, I don't know. It's just, it was just hard. Yeah, that's, I mean, you got a player, the, I remember watching NHL Network and they're like, what is the Blues identity? Like, come January 3rd, we're like, we have nothing going for us. Like, there's no where to, only where you can go is up. So when Baruby came in, it was just, and then Bennington, and then I, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it and to put words to it. Yeah, well, that question of what is the Blues identity, that's kind of the thing, isn't it? Is like, I think it starts from, from the top, at least leadership on the ice. And, you know, yeah. we, we came out of a Ken Hitchcock era where we chronically underperformed, where we didn't have exciting or, or engaging hockey. And, uh, you know, it was uh, get a goal or two, park the bus, and, you know, hope we can withstand the pressure. And that didn't really work. And then Mike Yo is kind of this, I don't even really know what Mike Yo's style actually is. I'm not sure Mike Yo knows. And all the respect for the guy in the world, I know he was respected a lot in Minnesota, um, at times, but just, we didn't, we didn't thrive under that. And so Barubi coming in, you know, the chief, it's like fresh start. What's the worst that can happen. And, um, man, I think that was a huge turning point. Uh, what did you guys think, uh, was, was sort of the, you know, we were all surprised by that first half of the season to some degree. Um, when, when did you first think we had that chance of like, Oh, maybe we could turn this around. Like, what was the first point that you were like, this could be the competitive moment. Um, I'd say right when we started that winning streak, we went into Tampa Bay and just won that game, won nothing. And then right after that, I think we played Nashville the next game, and then we won on the road in Nashville. I think that was a turning point for me where I was like, are, are these guys for real? Is this really going to happen? Like, are we going to – we can show we can be competitive. And I noticed on the road, it really became the defining factor throughout the season. But, like, the the tenacity we brought on the road versus at home and just that 11 game win streak in the beginning of that that's i think that's when i started to believe that's like we could we could really do this and then there's games in between it's like really but yeah that's right when i started believing it's right in the tampa on the road in the beginning of that win streak yeah it was that win streak yeah and a couple of games in and then they go into they have the home and home with nashville and, and sweep that and it's like oh okay yeah, yeah, this is getting this is exciting. And I I'd always heard that there were, you know, I think we all heard there were stories that there was disharmony in the locker room. There was a steam camp versus a petro camp and I guess Bruby came in and like no there is no camp. It's all one camp and you guys are going to play for each other and or I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> it just seemed that way. <laughs> and well, but, and based on how he played as a player, he actually could probably kick yeah, all of those boys' asses. <laughs> they definitely <laughs> respected him where they didn't respect Mike Yo. And I, but yeah, that win streak was definitely the defining turnaround. Yeah, I definitely want to talk more about Alex Petrangelo later when we talk, you know, kind of through the postseason, which will come up very shortly. Um, and like the, you know, the win streak was huge. I think for one, um, all of the, you know, the statistics, it's a beautiful fairy tale story, right? Last place on January 3rd, win the Stanley cup. We had a few games at hand at that point, right? So we'd played fewer games than the other teams around us, but you know, just things weren't clicking. There was that inconsistency, right? And, 
Um, you know, I think a lot of that is, you know, I don't hate the guy as a person, but you chalk that up to Jake Allen. You never know what goalie you're going to get there when he's going to give up one of those goals or make one of the blinding saves. It can turn the game either way. Um, and I think Bennington's call up, just how calm he was and how much of kind of a subtle sense of humor he brought to the thing. I felt like one, the boys knew that they had some security behind them, right? And this is real. If you're a forward and you don't know if you can trust your D or your goalie in the back of your mind, you grip the stick a little harder, you know, you try that extra bit and and that can throw you off your game. And same way the other end, if you don't know that your forwards are going to score goals, um, then you tighten up a little bit and you can't let go and play naturally. And I think Bennington's mental fortitude, you know, the, the consistency and stability he brings to the game um, was huge. And I can also point to Craig Berube as the same thing. You know, um, we'll talk through the playoffs kind of about the, you know, just the mindset, the the stability, never getting too high or too low is the phrase that's always explained and uh, or used. And I think Bennington coming up, that was kind of like, a oh, we have an option here. We're not just stuck with the guy that we don't really know what we're going to get. Um, and so for me, like, I think Bennington's call up was a was a big thing. Um, it's dangerous because the goalie can always be either the hero or the villain and you forget that there are um, 18 other players on, on the team. Um, you know, but, uh, but that was a huge turning point for me, I think. And, and, you know, the tipping point was when you realized he isn't just a flash in the pan, you know? Um, I don't know. What, when did you guys kind of realize like, oh, Bennington's for real? Um, honestly, when I, he came up this year, I, I'm going back to last year. I kind of felt bad for him because he got put down in depth chart for so long, and then we had Huso over him for the longest time. And I remember reading a story about he, Army was trying to send him to East, the ECHL, and he's like, "No, I'm not going there." And then he went to Providence and did well there. And then in the off season, I remember I've had a few people comment on my Twitter now. It's like I said, trade him because I felt bad for him. Like we can get something a, tri- a draft pick out of him, and he's better than what. I obviously didn't know what to expect because I didn't know. I didn't know his statistics. I'd never seen him play, but I knew overall it's like we could at least get something for him. We don't need him in our system. I mean, we had Copley and all that, and then he always seemed to overshadow an organization, and I think that helped build him as a player. And then when he came that first game, it's like, let's just get him. Like, Allen's not doing well, and then Johnson got kicked out and moved to Anaheim. He was basically an Allen 2.0, and then – Bennington comes up and shut out, shut out the Flyers, and then Gloria happened right after that, and then it all coincided so perfectly. And yeah, right after Bennington hit that shutout, I was like, okay, well that's awesome. He his first career start, he gets a shutout, and then he just kept winning. And then his calm demeanor reminded me of Brian Elliott. That's one thing I always loved about Elliott is the fact that when he played, he he might play with more emotion than Bennington did, but he played a a very structured game and very position game. And I always like that in a goalie. I don't like the Jake Allen sporadic stuff like Dominic Hoshik stuff, especially in today's NHL. Just, I don't think there's a place for it. And it's really hard to, as a, as a defensive unit to play defense for a goalie like that. Cause you don't know what's going on from time to time. And then, so you come in here, Bennington just plays as a wall and then so structured and makes things happen. He stops the rebounds that normally you'd see Allen give up or, makes that glove save, makes so calm and collected. And yeah, probably about a few games in the season. That's when I started getting a little more confident. I'm like, this kid might be the real deal. It's so calm and demeanor and all that. That was one thing that always struck me about Jake Allen is, you know, he has some highlight reel saves. And the first one that always comes to my mind is the one against Calgary from about five years ago, right? Where he like turns to his right and just holds his stick out and blocks the shot, flips it up into the air and catches it. And like, 
Okay, that does require incredible hand-eye coordination to do that. Um, assuming his eyes were open when he made that save, um, which I'm not entirely certain. Um, but like, what stands out to me is like I played goalie for a couple years when I was a kid. I had to. I didn't particularly enjoy it, but he was incredibly out of position. That's that's why he had to make that incredible save. And what's so cool about watching Bennington play is he's very rarely off his angle. Um, his glove is always in the right spot to where he doesn't have to make many highlight reel saves because he's in the right position to receive the puck as it's coming to him. And then when he truly is tested, i.e. game seven against Boston in the Stanley cup final, then he's, he does have that highlight reel save in his locker when he needs to pull it out, but that's not his go-to setting, you know, cause he's so, so stable. Uh, I think Bennington is one of the coolest narratives from this, from this season, um, setting the record for, you know, the only goal ever to have 16 postseason victories in his rookie season. That's incredible. Um, we, we touched on Barubi as the interim coach last place on the 3rd of January. Um, there's just so many cool narratives that have kind of taken over this team and they all kind of started around that same time, right? 3rd of January, there's Gloria, there's Jordan Bennington, there's Barubi. Um, that's, that's been a really cool thing to kind of take us into that playoff run and see that really mature into success. Yeah. And I think Bennington's play even, um, elevated Allen's play when Allen did, uh, get a start. Um, he played much better, um, especially in that home and home against uh, Nashville. He got one of the two games, if I recall, uh, and played well. Um, so, I, I, but I think going into the playoffs, we kind of all knew who was going to be the starter. It was, it was, you know, there was no doubt that Bennington was out playing Jake Allen, and you go with the hot hand, and and so. There you go. <laughs> yeah, the rest is history there. Um, yeah, Bennington just took over that spot just from the get-go, just with his demeanor and all that. And Allen, throughout the years, has proven to be inconsistent. And, I mean, once you've proven it more than one year in a row, that collapsed in January from a couple of years ago, and then you do it again that last year, and then this year it seems like it's doing the same thing. You kind of you lose trust. Your fan base lose trust in the goalie, and then the players lose trust in the goalie, and even though they'll say all day long that – Oh, we 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 like him. We trust him. Your the actions on ice determine really what is really happening there. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on kind of Allen and and what we can expect moving forward in in the crease um, in a little bit. I do definitely want to get to that point. I, I think another thing that's worth noting when we talk about all of these things sort of coming together is like, how about Jay Bomeister down the stretch this season? And like, that's one of the things where there there are so um, there are such compelling narratives like. Um, you know, there's that famous social media post that like, if I were to, you know, direct a film about a, you know, hockey team starting in last place, whatever. Um, one thing that's always left out of the story is Jay Bomeister is this veteran that, you know, everybody was saying needs to be put out to pasture, so to speak, yeah. uh, poor, poor guy. Um, and, yeah. uh, but also like ev everything I hear from behind the scenes is he's one of the best locker room personalities, just a great leader. Um, there was an interview, I think, with uh, Robert Bortuzzo, I want to say. Um, or no, I'm sorry, that's that's not true. It, it might have been Robert Thomas. Um, but it just became very clear to me how well-respected he is in the locker room. And, and to see him come back conceivably, like, finally fit, finally healthy, right? Um, what a difference he made down the stretch and into the postseason. Um, I think that was that was a huge thing. In terms of like takeaways for me from from the regular season and the postseason, it was this mentality that like everybody has counted us out. 
um, last place, right? Nobody expects us to do anything, so let's show them. And that goes to the top. You know, Craig Berube, who was hired as a maybe, he was like, I'm going to show Armstrong and Stillman that, that I deserve this job. It was Jordan Bennington, people calling, you know, for him to be traded or moved on for picks. Uh, I remember posting on social media one time, Jordan Bennington is not going to be the future of the blues in the crease. I like, I remember that I'll own that. I'll wear it. It's stupid, you know? Um, but you know, you're thinking, okay, we have Elliot, we have, uh, I think maybe even Halak at the time, Huso is waiting in the wings. Um, you know, he had something to prove. Uh, Bo Meester, all the guys, O'Reilly, they all had something to prove. And throughout the regular season, the second half and into the postseason, that's a big takeaway for me is this, you tell me I can't do this. We're going to, we're going to go do this, you know? Um, or Colton Preco, you know, thinking back to that game in Montreal where he coughed up the puck right in front of our net with what, less than a minute to go or I don't know. He's pretty late on, in the game. Seconds on the clock. Yeah. And, and lose a game like that. And it into who he turned into, um, you know, being the quote shutdown pair with Bo Meester, uh, in the playoffs. It's that's, that's quite a, a train, a, tra- a transformation, sorry, from, you know, a bad start. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's, it, it was, Pretty clear that Jay Bowmeister was hurt and finally got healthy. I don't know how you get healthy while playing, but it happened. Um, but and and to think how close that Armstrong was to a getting fired and b trading away half the team, including Tarasenko. Yeah. Um, but Berube came in and got all their attention and got him playing in the right direction. Now, our buddy Tim here has always been the biggest Doug Armstrong fan. Uh, he's rolling his <laughs> eyes and shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I I always like the trades he makes, but as from free agency signings, he always just baffles me on how much he can uh, give a player that is non-deserving of it, like Jake Allen, in my opinion. Never really earned that spot, in my opinion. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I do have a little bit of trepidation coming into the off season of what's going to happen with some of the bigger names that we've got to to sign. Um, you know, touch on that in a second. Um, one of the things that I know you mentioned, like the game. Uh, when was it that you said you wanted them to rip the C off of Petrangelo? There was definitely at some point in the season I wanted them to take the C away from Petrangelo because yeah. he just didn't seem to be motivating his players he didn't seem to have buy-in from as you would expect a captain to have among the other people on the team and you know hearing the same he didn't use the same words that Bacchus would always use we got to bear down on our chances and you know it seemed like you could just that was on constant loop playback with Bacchus. And there was a similar quote from Petrangelo after these losses and swap out different hockey cliches. Yeah. You said the same thing last time and nothing's changing, but, um, I, I guess Berube got to him as well and, and taught him how to be a captain. Somebody did because he definitely became one. There, There were, um, I don't know how closely you guys watch like the official media that the blues put out, but, um, down the stretch in the postseason, uh, the Blues social media and video team did, they just knocked it out of the park with mainly this stuff. And we were talking about this recently, uh, Tim, but the, the video clips that are, um, at the buzzer when the Blues win, they kind of show the players celebrating on the bench, on the ice, going into the locker room, 
Um, and then they show a little clip of usually kind of the post game, you know, very brief breakdown and heavily censored cause they're dropping F bombs every two seconds cause they're hockey players. But, um, that, uh, one, if you haven't seen the video clip, I'm sure it's in the blues app, but when Carl Gunnarsson, boom, boom, scored the goal, uh, that won game two, that's one of the coolest videos I've ever seen. Uh, um, but after each of those, they would show Alex Petrangelo giving the game puck to one of the players to put on the board um, and just kind of addressing, you know, like, this is what we did well, like, good job, good job, good job. Um, and that kind of, that helped me see a little bit of this, you know, the buy-in from the team. Because like you said, Mike, there was always this talk about even inside the locker room walls, do people really buy into Petrangelo as the captain? Or do they rather, would they rather have Steen or even, you know, a Tarasenko or somebody like that? Honestly, this season, um, the more I've seen the team evolved, I think the the C on the chest last, mattered less and less because you just see leadership from all facets. You see, there's probably one leader per line, so you got Steen for the fourth line. You probably have, honestly, you say Bozak for the the third line. You have a, honestly, you can go for O'Reilly if we're gonna call them the second line. He'd be the leader. It seemed like every line had their own little thing, and then for the first line, you have. Tarasenko, Shannon, Schwartz. I don't, you can't really put any leadership on that. Those guys just know what to do and will excel at it. Um, but yeah, as the season goes along, um, I wouldn't say it would be more of a Petrangelo's leadership abilities. I think it was just him putting the responsibility and them just coming together as a team. I'd, if, if we're going to put anyone in a leadership position, we should probably put Bennington to put that, do I look nervous? quote on the team because honestly the team just embodied that right after he did it and then you got Berube backing him up and just the embodiment of his emotion and how calm and collected and how everything is he really just if, if we're going to put a C on it you should probably just slap it on Bennington with his personality and how he made the team just better and consistent and if he had a bad night, usually the team had a bad night. I mean, he was really just the pillar of that team. I love those interviews from Bennington too. Uh, or after the, um, when he let in the, I think it was DeBrusque shot it from the point in the game six. Uh, yeah. The one that bounced. Yeah, did it bounce. <laughs> yeah, good, good that eye. interview. <laughs> did it <bounce. laughs> What do you think about that shot? Did you see it bounce? <laughs> yeah, good eye. I mean, I think that's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, you know, early on, like the organization was kind of like, dude, lock it up, you know, like be more professional. But what I love about that is hockey players are, I think, some of the most boring athletes in the world in terms of they're always, they always give these canned responses. It's always hockey cliches. It's always, you know, we got to get to our game, get pucks deep, get traffic in front of the net, clean up the garbage, all this stuff, which they do mean something strategically. But if that's all you ever say, you're not really saying anything. And on the other end, I think reporters do a really bad job, hockey journalists, of asking dumb questions. And Jordan Bennington kind of called him out on that. And he was just like, that's a dumb question. Do I look nervous? You know, like that's that's his response to that. And um, yeah, up and down the lineup, I think the Blues were kind of like, yeah, stop, stop telling us who we are. Stop trying to pigeonhole us into this hockey cliche. Um, and, and the play on the ice and the way they supported one another backed that up. Um, that was one of the biggest things, especially in the cup final when, you know, it, it felt like NBC sports was pulling so hard for Boston <laughs> as like the home network and Mike Milbury's on there. And our biggest supporter is former Blackhawk Patrick Sharp. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> how, yeah. does, how does that check out? The irony. <laughs> Although I, I want Patrick Sharp's teeth and his hair. That's fantastic. 
good looking man. It was it was frustrating to watch NBC just rooting so hard for Joe Thornton in the in the conference finals and Grandpa Joe, and it's like I get it. Okay, he's played however many games he's played and. He's 40 years old and he's never won a cup. And like, well, what about Bowmeister? What about the Blues as an organization? Never won a cup. And it, it, I, it was very frustrating. There was always a narrative that people latched onto more strongly than the ones that, you know, than, than the Bennington, the Barubi, the last place, the Bowmeister. Mandy Schwartz, I mean, that's, that's powerful. Jaden Schwartz's sister passing away before he played his first NHL game. You know, like that's, I mean, you know, win it for Mandy. Screw Jumbo Joe. He's a dirty player. Uh, Mandy Schwartz was awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And then you got Layla to go on top of that, oh, getting the Layla. bone marrow transfer. That's, I mean, everything tied in so well. And then you got 1.5 million people on market street would say that our stories mattered if just as much, if not more than any story that NBC would put out ever. It's the, I think the biggest takeaway for me is, is, the you know sticking it to the the big hockey media i think yeah top to bottom fan base included you know it's this you know we're here i I remember when the chicago cubs not to like go anathema but when the chicago cubs uh actually won the world series i think like one of the hashtags that the players started kind of putting out there is hashtag we are good and it's this idea that you know everybody and i i was right there with everybody it was you know oh but you're the cubs you're gonna blow it somehow right. you know and and through much of the season i mean i've been a blues fan since i started watching hockey the first game i ever watched was a blues game there's always been this thing even in my own brain it was like yeah but we're the blues you know and it wasn't until that third goal uh in game seven you know the Braden shen goal which is just a snipe um i was like yeah we're, we are the blues and we're about to win the bloody stanley cup you know yeah, I was a little nervous even after that. Um, that's when I start like, we got that two-goal lead. And I'm like, oh, this game went all over again. We're going to lose this. And then the second period went by. I'm like, okay, we're still winning. What's going on? And then Braden Shen scores. I'm like, that's when I started to believe a little bit. I'm like, no, this is not happening. And then that fourth goal went in. I'm like, this is happening. And I, I had like five minutes left in the period. I just started crying because I'm like just overjoyed with emotion and feelings and then even come back to st louis like my i keep tearing up throughout the whole time i've been home just for like th- this really just happened and i still i don't think i'll ever believe it until the next year the season goes or comes around mike did you cry in game seven yes i did <laughs> <laughs> i i i we went to game six we went to games four and six did you cry in game six i actually started before the puck drop i started to oh, get a little wow. teary-eyed thinking about it and then I, 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 I don't know. Then, then, you know, Boston scores on that five on three. It's like, Oh God, here we go. Um, so when those thoughts came around during game seven, it's like, Nope, not gonna think about it. Not gonna think about it. Cause I thought about that in game six and we lost. I'm not gonna think about it. Got very superstitious, but <laughs> watching, uh, watching Biddington make those saves in game seven, was just unbelievable i mean we're watching this and we're both just like oh my gosh jumping up and down on the couch and and you know screaming no when he would and then he'd come up with the save that you thought for sure the puck was going in the net i thought 
wow, he's amazing. And then we were up two goals at the end of the first period. How the heck did that happen? We had no business winning that game. Even being <laughs> in that game, it should have been 3 nothing to Boston. It should have been. But you know what? That had me nervous, honestly, because like, we are like the champions also at losing two goal leads, blowing those. And I was just like, oh man, we're up two. We don't deserve it. We've been outplayed through this entire period. If we blow this lead, we're, we're done. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I was nervous going into that second period and we played well at first. Um, but that, that Braden Shen goal in the third, um, that, that was when I was like, okay, this could be real. I, I, uh, I teared up at the Zach Sanford goal. Cause that was when I was like, all right, you know, un- unless we get, uh, you know, a, a Cody Eakin situation and, uh, Boston miraculous. Did you guys see, I think I was talking to you about this just a moment ago, but when, uh, when we went up four nil, um, Vegas Golden Knights Twitter post it sounds like Boston could really yeah. use a five minute major power play right now. Yeah. <laughs> what a troll job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like accounts to follow on Twitter, Vegas Golden Knights and Molly Bozak. Fantastic accounts. They're hilarious. Um <laughs> Oh, don't forget Civil War Schwartz and Civil his beautiful renditions of the Civil War and Blues hockey. Oh my gosh, it's it's amazing. But yeah, no, I mean that that Sanford goal, I was just like, that was when it hit me. I was like, this is, this is real. I was with my buddy, Justin, and you know, he was drinking a lot. He was jumping up and down and hitting on the blue crew girls that were sitting around us. And I, <laughs> I was sitting there like seated. Everybody else was standing. I was seated because I could look up and see the Jumbotron at Enterprise. I had like my hands like kind of clenched together. I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is happening. Um, but it was just un- unreal. Um, how, you know, even, even for us, it was the blues had to defy the odds, even with their own fan base. Um, and, and they bloody well did it. Um, biggest takeaway for me is that, you know, everybody was, everybody was against us and they got it done. Um, yeah. And I, no words to describe that. I is pretty much as well put as you can put it. Why? Thank you. Um, yeah. St. Louis was defending Stanley cup champions. Yeah. That's freaking cool to say. The last thing we're going to go through is the off season, because um, believe it or not, it's it's about time for for moves to be made. Um, and I I would love for us to bring the exact same squad back. I, I, you know, they gelled at the same time. Obviously, that's not going to happen, and it probably shouldn't happen. Things can get stale. Um, we're projected to have nineteen million dollars, just short of nineteen million dollars in cap space, um, with current. Restricted free agents, Robbie Fabry, Zach Sanford, Sammy Blay, Ivan Barbashov, Joel Edmondson, Oscar Sundquist, Jordan Bennington, um, and non-roster RFAs, Vili Husso and Mitch Reinke. So those are restricted free agents, right? We have to tender an offer and then they can either accept it, other teams can counter that offer, in which case we can match it. Um, unrestricted free agents, Thorburn, Nolan Delzato, Carl Gunnarsson, Patrick Maroon. UFAs this season. Um, don't forget, uh, 2020 UFAs are Braden Shen, Alex Petrangelo, and Jay Bomeister. So, what do we? What do you guys want to see happen with some of those immediately this year, as well as kind of looking into the Petrangelo, Bomeister, Shen situation? Honestly, I'd like to see them all signed, but that's not realistic with only 19 million in cap space. Um, as much as I like Carl Gunnarsson, I can't see resigning him at this point. I mean, he was great and he was great depth and all that, but. I don't see where, honestly, Alexander Steen's getting old too. So if we could dump his contract, as much as I hate to say that, he was such a huge part on the fourth line. But you have to make we have to start getting younger, and 
he is just going to hold up the production and everything of the team. And Bennington's obviously going to get signed. If you don't sign him... At a pretty huge pay rise to first yeah, Stanley no. Cup champion Jordan Bennington. Yeah, he... Sh- Honestly, what will Army be doing at that point? Um, Blay, I'd say he gets a little pay raise. Um, there's a lot of guys that I think are going to maybe take a little less to be on a team that gelled, like Sanford and Blay and all them. I think the restricted free agents, since they don't have much negotiating power since they're restricted free agents, unfortunately. As for like all the unrestricted free agents, like Thor Burns not getting re-signed, let's be honest. And then um, Maroon, though. Maroon, oh, jeez. What do you even do with him? Uh, he's going to, I would love to keep him, but at the same time, you got to think to the future. And he's a hometown hero. Maybe the one year, one and done, one hit wonder might do be best for him, to be honest. As much as I hate to say that, David Freeze, if we could have kept him as a one hit wonder, probably even more loved with St. Louis. I don't know what you would even do with that. What's the. Quote, if you stick around long enough, what, something about a hero, you live to see, the vi- I don't know. Yeah, oh, in the man. military, we use it all the time. If You either live long enough to be, become, or okay, it's either you <laughs> you die a hero. There you go. That's or it. live long enough to become the villain. Yeah. And, yeah. So you're saying Pat Maroon should die a hero. He's a hometown hero, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was one of my favorite moments from that parade. I'm a hometown hero, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Maroon, yeah. What do you think, Mike? Who, who do you want to re-sign? Uh, anybody else you'd want to target or, um, or move well, along? Army's already said that Bennington's getting a significant raise. Um, I think the Blues move on from Robbie Fabry. Because um, I just, I he's, I, well, he's he's got knees or whatever that are made of glass. Um and he's not been the same player since. He's not been the player that we saw that in the year that took us up to the conference finals. Um, so I think they move on from him. Um, if they re-sign Maroon, I think it's a one-year deal. I don't think anything more. But I can see, because Armstrong came up with some pretty surprising trades two years in a row. He unloaded Terrible, Mr. Mr. Dealer, <laughs> as it turned Wonderful out to trade. be, he unloaded him for Braden Chen and then unloaded Patrick Berglund. And both of those players were signings that were just awful. Like you're talking about his free agent signings, giving Berglund the amount of money that he gave him was crazy. But he remedied that by unloading him, um, despite you know what the cost was and how we were all told that we were that it was the cost was too high by someone we all dearly love. And, uh, um, but Hey, uh, what's his name? Tage Thompson scored that sick toe drag top shelf goal in preseason. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> so <laughs> I think that he finds a way to move Jake Allen. Um, and I think he has to, there are teams out there looking for a goaltender. Um, I think Arizona is one of them. Um, I know there are a couple of other Western Conference teams that are looking for goaltending, and and if they can move Jake Allen along with, I don't know, somebody, have to sacrifice somebody. Yeah, you have to make it, um, you got to make them want it. So the, yeah. uh, Fabry would be a good one and maybe another first-round draft pick, but we're going to get low on that if we keep giving away those for bad contracts. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if not now also, like you always have teams, it feels like, Calgary, Edmonton are always 
swinging different goalies in and out of out of the doors, you know. And so maybe not even in the off season, maybe you start the season with a Bennington Allen tandem and wait for a team to be like, hey, maybe their goalie gets hurt uh, or something like that. Um, look, Philadelphia went through was it eight nine goaltenders in that was one crazy. season? It was insane. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, I mean, that sort of thing happens. Um, it, honestly, like I I want this for Allen personally. Like it's not. It's not a, I hate Jake Allen, uh, he's terrible, because we've discussed on his day, he's a phenomenal goaltender. Yeah, he can be inconsistent, he can be shaky, can be a bit of a head case, um, but look at the way he handled stepping aside and letting Jordan Bennington take in the reins. Like, How much grace does it take to do that? The play devil's advocate to that, though, who do we have as a backup then? I mean... If we get rid of Jake Allen, is Huso ready to play the backup role? I don't think he is. He still needs another mm-hmm. season in San Antonio. To He had a bad year this year. I mean, it happens. And then we also have uh, the other uh, Fitzpatrick, but he just got in the AHL too. So mm-hmm. we don't really have anyone to take that role. I mean, yeah, we need to dump the salary there, but if we can't, I mean, we, we shouldn't be in a rush to push him out the door if we don't have anyone to fulfill that role like a Hutton or a Honestly, I wouldn't be opposed to even trading and trying to get Elliott back for a backup role for Bennington. That'd be amazing for me, being a huge Elliott fan. But realistically, I mean, is four four million contract really going to be that detrimental to a team that just won a Stanley Cup and the team's on a high? I mean, we could probably ride out for another season or two and let him either come back or do something. I, I have no idea. But we you you got to fill that backup role, and I don't know where you even get that player from. Yeah, I think you're right. Husso's a bit young for that. He, you know, he didn't have a good season in the AHL, albeit riddled with injury. Um, I think if you can sign like a Chad Johnson, maybe like a slight step up from a Chad Johnson, um, because with the exception of that, you know, four nothing game against San Jose, that you know he got kept the clean sheet. I, I wasn't ever impressed with him. Like you said, he's kind of another Jake Allen. If you can bring in via trade. Uh, a guy who can be a stable backup, then I think you're in a position where, okay, if Bennington's carrying the majority of the load, you've got somebody that can step in once every two, three weeks and, and hold the fort down, uh, you know, to give Benner a day off. Um, then you're in a position where you can move Allen along because I think Allen can be a good starter on another team. Look at how a change in scenery helps other players, um, not least of which is our Conn Smythe Trophy Award winner, Ryan O'Reilly, who had lost his love of the game in Buffalo, comes here and sets the world alight, you know? Um, no matter what anybody might tell you, uh, I, I could see Jake Allen being that person, you know, maybe, uh, getting away from the, uh, somewhat fickle, vindictive sports fans in St. Louis. We can be tough on our players. Um, you know, maybe moving to a place like a Florida or something, um, could, could be a good thing, you know, or maybe he would take a backup position in a Tampa Bay or, um, Columbus, something like that, you know, just a, another devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe Jake, if the Panthers cannot sign Bobrovsky, do you think they would go for? Because Luongo is almost his way out of the league too. But I mean, if but Luongo's contract is pretty big. But I mean, we could maybe suck that up for like a year. I think he only has like one year left on his contract. If he could play like a a backup role for us for a season, I mean, I feel like that wouldn't be a terrible trade. Get Luongo back and let him learn from. I mean, honestly, a legend of the game for Bennington would be a huge, like Martin Berder was for Allen. Two big contracts. I mean, it kind of works out for both teams, I think, because at least 
you're giving away something that you know, like we don't really like what we have to work with here. It's a big con, bigger than it should be, right? Um, and you're getting another big contract, but there's upswing to both of them. Alan could be a franchise name somewhere. Um, he's still young enough. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about. I, um, man, I don't want to give away Carl Gunnarsson. After seeing his celebration, him spiking the helmet in the locker room after he scored that game-winning goal. Oh, that was so cool. Um, I, I don't know if we... I, he might get re-signed, to be honest, because I don't know if we have even the depth in the system to replace him. So, I mean, if he takes a contract for as much as he made this year, and if we can finagle it between contracts for other players, I mean, Army's worked magic already, and... I, I can't imagine Stillman being cheap at this point. He's like, we just want a cup. Let's do it again next year. <laughs> yeah. 2020, last kind of topic on, on uh, free agents and trades. 2020 UFAs are Braden Chen, Alex Petrangelo, who has a no trade clause, and Jay Bomeister, who has a no trade clause. I, you got to keep Braden Chen. I, I, it just kills me to think that he'd be going. Um, he was the first person that I, I saw play for the Blues um, in recent memory, even, even other than like Vladimir Tarasenko, I don't think ever really reached this point, but I was like, this dude is hungry. He plays with an edge. Um, he's like Alexander Steen was maybe five, six years ago when he still had all his legs he had the attitude, he checks, he scores. Um, I don't know. Um, well, I think that Bo Meester probably retire. Um, so that'll take care of his contract. Um, Petro will obviously get re-signed unless he just comes completely unglued. Um, Braden Shen will get re-signed. Um, Steiner, who isn't a UFA at that point, I, it was admirable that he accepted the fourth line role and he bought in and his line was unbelievable, uh, during the playoffs, but I could see him retiring at some point too. Um, cause he's about the same age as Bo Meester, his mid to late thirties. So, um, I don't know that could free up some cap space too. Yeah. That's the end of the 2020, 21 season. So not this coming season or not this off season, not the following one, but after that, then Alexander Steen's a UFA. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard contract to take, especially this late in his career. Cause he's, it's it's admirable that he did take that fourth line role, and I feel like that really pushed the team over the edge because he gave him that consistency and that knowledge on the back end and to play a defensive game. But realistically, you don't want a guy getting paid that much playing that kind of role. I mean, I mean, if that was the case, Brodziak would got paid way more than he did, and so would Upshaw, and Upshaw would probably still be here. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of a question to to consider. I think think of how you know Kyle Brodziak was brought in on relatively low wages, right? It wasn't a huge contract. Uh, we've had Brendan Morrow, we've had Derek Roy, we've had Scotty Upshaw, you know, those guys that kind of managed that role and, and did comparably to Steen, I think, um, you know, maybe a little, little bit less offensive potential because we know what Steen has in his locker. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I, I'm looking at a list of, of free agents here. And we were talking about Armstrong and, you know, man, the contracts drive you up a wall sometimes. I, I think he's a great dealer, but not a great negotiator. Um, or he's good with other GMs, but not quite with players and their agents. And here are some names that are UFAs right now. Um, some of them we know, Jason Spezza, Sergei Bobrovsky, Dion Phaneuf, Eric Carlson, Matt Duchesne, Joe Pavelski, Artemi Panarin. Um, 
those all have massive cap hits. So, you know, that's right there. You're spending about a third of your budget. Um, but you go down and you have some names that are really cool. Besides Yori Lettera, he's a free agent right now. We can bring him, <laughs> <laughs> we can bring him back. Uh, he just signed the KHL, actually. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, Boston's Marcus Johansson. That's still a pretty high cap hit. Four and a half million. Anton Strollman, defenseman for Tampa Bay. Four and a half million. Um, then you're kind of getting into like, if we're going to have to replace Gunnarsson. There are comparable options out there. A little bit of an uptick. Uh, one of the names that grabs my attention is Marcus Kruger, uh, plays for Chicago. Um, he's one of the guys that, like, you know how when you play your rivals, you always have those players that you just hate. Justin Abdelkader is one of those for me. Shaw. I, yeah, yeah, Shaw. exactly. When Shaw. Shaw was on Chicago, he somehow managed to get a goal on the Blues every time they played, and he was just like that X factor for that team when the Blues played Chicago. It was ridiculous. It just always feels like. Uh, Kruger is scoring against us or doing something, playing really well, mixing it up. And he's a fourth liner um, for them for the most, for the most part. Um, Richard Panic plays for Arizona. Um, this is all, of course, assuming that we, uh, we don't get the deal for Ricard, Raquel pushed through. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Raquel to STL. Valtteri Filpula. Uh, Phil that's a hard name to say. Um, 2.7 million. Um, good, good forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Chad Johnson's a free agent too, which is cool. Uh, <laughs> can go probably back. play in Europe somewhere. Jonas Donskoy, one of the coolest names in the NHL. And at this point, we're under two million for a cap hit. So like, that's that's still too much for you. Yeah, I just I I don't see anyone on that list besides obviously the big name players that can make us really that much better. And honestly, we're not going to sign any of those big contracts unless we make some crazy changes. But after the season we had, I don't. I think you ride this team as long as you can, especially doing a team. The Blues winning the Cup for the first time in history, I don't think you get away from that from a team that has done literally what no team has ever been able to do for St. Louis ever. Oh, absolutely. One more name I'm going to throw out there at you. This carries a $2 million cap hit. Ryan Miller. Oh, Jesus. Goalie controversy done right there. He would be a good backup. He played well in Anaheim. And I'm I, the only thing I don't like right about Ryan Miller is the fact that I felt like he couldn't wait to get out of St. Louis. In fairness, I felt I, I know we've talked about this before, but I feel really bad for Ryan Miller and how he was treated in St. Louis. I think he got stuck with the Blues team that just stopped scoring against Chicago. Um, and there's this, you know, he got a ton of stick for for a bad goal he let in in the game we lost in Chicago, um, and it wasn't a great goal. But like, you can't go into the United Center expect to win with one goal scored for you kind of maybe it happens but but you got to score and, and we didn't you know yeah every hitchcock team ever <laughs> oh man talk about narratives to the postseason before we wrap up here uh one of the things that i love is that uh craig berube came in and had us playing ken hitchcock hockey better than ken hitchcock had us playing ken hitchcock hockey and that game seven is a perfect example of that we went up two nil we parked the bus and then we scored on the counterattacks. That was exact. I mean, that, that's Ken Hitchcock hockey. It was neutral zone trap. It was swallow them when they crossed the blue line and, and don't let them get an inch of space. Um, it was amazing. No, he did. He definitely, uh, Ruby definitely. So Ken Hitchcock, I felt like he made players play games that they weren't comfortable with. And then Ruby, I feel like, especially with Colton Pareko, I've heard he just let him play his game. And I feel like that made a big difference for this team, allowing them to play the game that they're comfortable with. And I think that's 
Ken Hitchcock, I heard that he had like so many different strategies and you had to do this exactly by the book and stuff like that. I think that's why it drove TJ Oshie mad because he wanted to play the game in such a natural way. I feel like Berube allowed his players to like, yes, play the game your way, but also play the game my way. And I feel like that's where the combining of styles really just pushed us over. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to say? I feel like you're just kind of... about Well, um, yeah, Brube, I mean, he got Tarasenko on board and pretty much said, called him out in the media and said, yeah, you know, he can play better or we need more from him or however he put it. And Tarasenko got the message because before then he was just kind of cherry picking and, you know, soft hits and, oh, you got the puck? Okay, I, I won't touch you kind of stuff. And, and... You know, that's certainly not something that Brubay is going to put up with, not even from an $8 million player. Um, but, yeah, it just just all kinds of things came together at the right time, and I don't know that you mess with it too much by bringing in a, a Panarin. I mean, it would have been nice if Armstrong would have listened to Tarasenko a couple of years ago when he said, hey, I know this kid, let's bring him over. But that's not what happened. Um, I do think you bring back Sonny and uh, Barbie um, for your fourth line and, um, keep going with what you've got. Maybe one tweak. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, maybe add blade to that fourth line too. I don't know. Steen can really, I don't think he takes that role next year unless he knows we're going for the cup again. Well, and that, you know, when we were talking about potential trades, you know, that, I mean, that might be something that again, sort of like with the Allen thing, I want to see us move Allen because I want him to do well. I think he's, again, the way he handled his adjusted role this season with Jordan Bennington came in. I can't imagine most people doing that. You know, the ego is too big, but he, he dropped it and he said like, it's more about the team, you know, Steen did the same thing. So like, I want those players to be rewarded and play in a role that does suit them. I just don't know that Alexander Steen is going to have that in St. Louis in the next couple of years. I mean, if, I don't know if it's a player can really be that upset with a team that needs to still move forward, but he won a cup with the, that team and that city. And sometimes you just got to take the next step in the, your life, your next chapter. Yep. Before we go, uh, looking forward to the off season and next season of the players that we know are coming back, right? Uh, who are you most excited to see put on the blues sweater next season? O'Reilly for sure. I mean, he, the way, the motivation I'm, I think that he got from this season alone, I think he has like another level to his game that we only saw the beginning of in the Stanley Cup Finals. I think he just puts himself in the next tier of players that you're like, this dude might go to the Hall of Fame. Because he was elite before, but he, he might build his legend in St. Louis like Hall did, like Adam Oates, Bernie Federico, Bobby Plager, Barkley Plager, and anyone else you can think of, Al McKennis. That's just that next level, especially Con Smythe. I mean, I don't think you get much better than that. Yeah, I would agree. I'm if if I'm going to buy another letter jersey, it'll probably be ninety. That's my next question, Mike. Yes, <laughs> it'll be uh, O'Reilly because I think he brings his best every night. I would love to be able to say that about Tarasenko, but I don't see that every night. I see some nights where Tarasenko looks like he's taking the night off. Even in game six, it looked like he was taking the night off and not playing hard, whereas O'Reilly plays hard every night. So that would be my vote too. Yeah, in, in England, in football, we have this term luxury player we'll use. And a luxury player is a 
player who, who plays with a lot of flair to his style. Um, it's flashy. It's exciting. Um, but they're the ones that are streaky. And I definitely feel like Tarasenko is the, the luxury player. And Ryan O'Reilly is the blue collar. He goes into the corners. He doesn't hit a ton. Um, no, he doesn't. He's really well. He strips the puck really well, and he doesn't need to hit. He play, He's a big guy, and he plays physical, but he doesn't need to play a hitting physical type game. Mm, yeah. Player I'm most excited to, to see next season is Robert Thomas. I think I think he, he turned it on this season, and it was consistently better and better and better throughout the season, mainly on the back end. We, we knew that he could stick handle. We knew that he could shoot and pick out a pass and cycle in the ozone, but it was his defensive responsibility that really came together. And um, in, in the playoffs, he, yeah, I, I'm sure there were times when he abdicated his responsibility and we're riding the high of a Stanley Cup victory, so I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus or you know, give anybody stick for poor defensive plays in, in the postseason. Um, but I think, I think we saw a little bit more of that next gear that, that he's got. You know, uh, Mike, you mentioned the next letter jersey you get is going to be Ryan O'Reilly, number 90. Yeah. You're, you're set on that? Yeah, I think I am. You're going to go home, away, classic, alternate? I would love to see them make the Heritage jersey the full-time jersey. <laughs> we were just talking Same. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, what's the next Blues jersey you're going to get? Jordan Bennington. Jordan Bennington, for sure. His personality is just unreal and honestly from my favorite goalie was moose before and then i see a lot of that in bennington with the style and then just taking it to the next level i just don't see i just see him getting better even with the downside of teams are going to have more scouting reports on him next year i think he might slip a little bit but i think he comes back strong he built that mental toughness through years and years of grinding in the ahl for this and I just don't see him giving it back anytime soon. So I think he's going to be with us for a long time. So yeah, white Jordan Bennington, Stanley cup patched Jersey. Yeah. We were just talking about that. That's going to be, I'm going to get to, that's one of them, the the white Jersey, cause that's what they won the cup in. Uh, you know, the, I mean, just think the, the iconic images of Jordan Bennington are, you know, the save the slide to the right. Um, yeah. White Jersey. And then Ryan O'Reilly, I'll go alternate. Cause I don't have one of those. Um, Awesome. Cool. Any parting thoughts from you guys before we, before we take off? Tim, you got a bit of a drive ahead of you down to Georgia. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. It was great driving up for the, I had a four day weekend this weekend and I drove 12 hours, woke up at three in the morning and got here about two in the afternoon. It was a great drive up here. I knew I was going to be tired going back on Tuesday and then drove that drive tomorrow. I'll probably leave around 7am. I mean, it was a well worth it experience, especially to see lots of new people and met a whole bunch of new people and be able to city see the city come together over a team that I've loved my whole life has been a rewarding experience to say the least. Hey, training camp's only ninety days away. <laughs> Is that oh for real? <laughs> yeah, September. Oh my gosh. So Yeah, we're not used to this, are we? No, we're not. <laughs> no, that's why well I, I remember when the Cub, when the Cubs won the World Series. I'm I'm a Cubs fan. That's that's my baseball allegiance, because again, I'm not from St. Louis. I remember when we won the World Series, it was super weird to be like like it felt like two weeks later it was spring training, pitchers and catchers were reporting, and I was like, So this is what it feels like to be a fan of a good team. Hashtag <laughs> we are good. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. The only thing I'll say, you know, for a closing thought for me was I was really impressed with how the players interacted with the crowd during the parade yesterday. Um, getting off the trucks, running around, high-fiving, chugging beers, whatever they were doing, they were, they were 
they were celebrating with the fans rather than doing a little Queen Elizabeth way from the truck thing. Um, I, I mean, I don't know what it's like in other cities. I've, I've you know, I, I, I can't say that I've watched the, the Blackhawks parade or somebody else's parade. So I don't know what their players do. I did. I just had a bucket next to me in case I needed to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, it was amazing. Just watch them interact. I, I don't know any other sport or any other fan base that the players would just interact with them and just they're It's like, they're one of us. I mean, they're a fan of their own team too. They just, they're drinking beers with us. They're blue collar, just like the rest of us. And, the fact that they show that they don't put themselves on a pedestal, I think means a lot to St. Louis and I think grows the sport that much more within the community. Well, we were, uh, when we were standing at the rally uh, the other day, we, we <laughs> it was long. We waited a long time. I got very sunburned. So I don't know if you guys can see that. I'm very pink. Um, and uh, Katie in front of us was like, yeah, but like, you know, the players are having their moment with the fans. And that was kind of like, yeah, all right, I'm uncomfortable. It's hot. Uh, I'm wearing my number 38 Pavel Dimitri jersey uh, with a long sleeve shirt underneath, which was a poor decision. Um, but it's not about me, right? It's about the players getting to celebrate with their fans. It's about the city coming together around this team. Um, and I think that was that was really cool to see Jordan Bennington in an Oakville High School cheerleading formation, <laughs> swinging a baton around or whatever. That's freaking cool, you know. Um, that that's awesome. If you aren't already, uh, come visit with us on Facebook. We are uh, at uh, the St. Louis Blues Supporters Forum. If you type in St. Louis Blues Supporters Forum into your search bar, um, you will get to be a part of our community and chat with uh, me, Benjamin Jude, the one and only Tim Tanner, and Mike Kelly. Um, on the regular, get all of our hot takes. Um, and yeah, maybe call into the show sometime. So, uh, Mike, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Tim, thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you. You'll see a lot of uh, really pissed off comments in recent years and going forward. So enjoy that. And thank you, listener, for listening to the first ever episode of uh, the St. Louis Blues Supporters Podcast. Uh, Play Gloria for us and have a great week. This has been a Cathedral Studios production.